Have you ever gotten your message lost in translation? Launched a well-thought-out content on social media only to get lost in the noise? Welcome to the Moving Beyond Acronyms Podcast. We are here to help you with practical tools to find your voice, craft shareable content, stand out in the marketplace, expand your tribe, and convert followers into ambassadors or customers. I'm Torrent, your host, a message master that's helped leaders, entrepreneurs, and businesses ignite their message with lasting impact. Each week, we will go behind the scenes to share real and deep conversations with the most prominent message masters on how they took an idea and crafted content that have trended to the stratosphere, boosted the bottom line, and improved the world around them. Now, let's get started. Welcome to Moving Beyond Acronyms. I'm really excited to have Jana Lopez on. She's an author of Me, My Selfie, and I. I always like screw up the title, but it's such a great title because it's about the identity. And the reason I have her on today was because I heard her podcast. And it really struck me when she had Barry Kibrick on, I think it was. Yeah. And he was really talking about his identity journey. And I think in today's society, we have so many identities, like you have the uh, philosophy of the O2O, the offline to online identity, the strategy that now marketers have to cater to two kinds of identities within one person. Help, what do we do? <laughs> <laughs> so, that's why I brought you on, because you've written about this. And I was like, what a specialty. And, and how does that fit with moving beyond acronyms? Well, I think to be a good wordsmith, to be a good writer, and to really get your message out there, which is really what it is, breaking outside of your tribe, you kind of have to know who you are and your identity. So, Jenna, tell me, how, what made you write this book? Well, I think I went through many circumstances that led up to a breakdown in my life. I call it the seven D's where something happens at a point in your life. For me, it was midlife and things around you crash like divorce or you get a disease diagnosis or somebody dies. There's things that happen and we're so used to building the blocks and structures of our life based on these things that we have in our lives, what we identify with, like we hang our hats on our job titles, we hang our hats on our spouses or our children, if we have a title of a parent or a wife or a husband. And when those things go away, it's like wandering the desert in this abyss of (laughs) loss and disillusionment. I don't think we just talk about it enough in society. And I think we've gotten to a place in this day and age, circa 2020, where so much is contingent on these identities that we project in order to emotionally survive, including the social media identities. So I feel like uh, for me, it came about because it was just a really weird, lonely, dark period of time. And I felt like nobody was really addressing or talking about the components of a self and a midlife and everybody refers to it as a crisis <laughs> and it gets cliched away without really looking at the essence of it, which is grief and those, those elements that when we change, we don't really call it that. So I wanted people to feel less alone. It was so important. So it's okay to grieve with your identity and you kind of lost your identity because you lost your publishing and then you got divorced prior to that. And then you met someone And it was kind of like these life-changing moments. Like they say the top three things is divorce, losing your job, and death, right? And you've like almost had all three within a context. And so how did you deal with that? And I think it's grief, but 
you had so many good identities. Does that make sense? Yeah, well, I didn't deal with it very well. I feel like, first of all, I didn't know what it was. I didn't know that it was grief. I felt like I was, I'm somebody who shows up in the world as very responsible, very pull yourself up, you know, what you make it, fake it till you make it. And none of those things were working. I was unable to function in the sense that I couldn't get myself motivated to change my thoughts or my behaviors. And that never has happened before. So it's like what happens when the person who's driving the bus falls asleep. (laughs) And I was completely asleep, but it wasn't my fault. You know, that was part of it. I was being so hard on myself and so unkind to myself. And so to get myself through it, I didn't really do well. I I smoked a lot of weed. I I drank, you know, at night to take off the edge. I just cut myself off from people and it was a dark place. And I wouldn't say I went down the rabbit hole so far that I couldn't come out, but the pain was so great. The disassociation was so great because that's part of it is when you know yourself to be a certain way, you have that relationship to yourself and it's no longer there and it's no longer working. It's like trying to reboot a DOS system with a Mac system. The operating system is no longer functioning. So I think a lot of people go through this. They just don't understand what it is. And I want to add something to that too, to address your question specifically, tying it back to words, right? And acronyms and understanding of things is that for me to understand what I was in, I had to give it a name. I had to find the words. And that's what helped me deal with it was finding the right words to experience, to my experience. That's so interesting because that's from St. John of the Cross, Dark the Night of the Soul, which a lot of people talk about being in that desert. And when you're in the desert, like which I'm right now, there's a lot of growth in the desert. And what I was really surprised about is that you have all these beautiful desert sunflowers, like they flourish. And so in your dark flight of the self, in that darkness and in that desert of your life, what grew within you that that came out from the desert? So much. I mean, so much. Although it was hard and difficult and lonely, disassociating and disillusioning and so many things, it was profound. And I was clear that I was going to have to have a conversation with myself and figure it out because I felt like this was the one time in your life, midlife for me anyway, was the one time where you have to dig in and sort of look at how am I going to move forward and carry myself forward. So that was what the writing of the book was about, was to have a conversation with myself because I felt like it was the one thing I could do that I could rely on since I couldn't count on anything else. And so by doing that, I took years to, to write it. A lot of the time writing wasn't actually writing. <laughs> it was thinking about writing until I uh, took a two week sojourn to go and sit and be alone and have a conversation with myself. And that was a very fruitful, amazing, life-changing thing. I call it the grand gesture. So if you're going through something like that, if you're going through something really difficult and you're, you're grasping and you don't know what next steps to take, usually there's an edge that you can find yourself on the very level of discomfort where you know it's like the scariest thing you could possibly imagine. And for me, I think it was just sitting with myself. So doing the grand gesture, going and sitting with myself, accomplishing that, I knew I wouldn't let myself down. It was really an important thing. And so much then from that got planted and fertile and everything started to grow from like, okay, so I won't let myself down. I won't fall. I won't crash. I can do this. And then it was literally just 
painstaking one epiphany, one thing, one word, one sentence uh, at a time to, to put this book together. I was so happy with how it turned out. I mean, I'm actually super proud of how it turned out. I like it. And so with that, what is your philosophy of identity now? Like coming out of it, your reflection is that, you know, we have all these identities, exterior identities, identities of work, identities of our relationship or marriage to our body. What has you come to peace with your identity now? Great question. I think identity comes in starting with the form of two things. I would say kindness to yourself and allowance for yourself. And most people talk about kindness and allowance. A lot of people use the word acceptance, Mm -hmm. self-acceptance. I do not like that term for me personally. It doesn't fit because it feels like you have to do something and it means you have to do something that you may not be able to or ready to do. But allowance means that you're making room for yourself. It means that you're forgiving your process and making room for it as it is because it's messy. And I think people want things to be tidy and they want everything to go in a nice little bow and have some, you know, uh, sitcom ending where everything, (laughs) everything turns out okay. You know, I I make that reference in the book about the Regal Beagle, (laughs) Three's Company, how Jack, Chrissy and Janet would sit and reconcile all their problems, you know, over a beer at the Regal Beagle. But, you know, it just doesn't work out that way. So I feel like having the allowance says, hey, it's messy. It sucks sometimes. Sometimes it's not going to be perfect and it never goes the way you think, right? It never goes exactly the way you think. Everything turns out differently. And especially now in this time, nobody would have predicted 2020, we would be here having to grapple with who we are in the world and what we're going to show up as and how we're going to make it. And every level of our identities of how we move in the world has been called into question. I don't, there's not a person on the globe that probably hasn't had to think twice about who am I in this world today. So it seems like the world is going through the dark flight of self. It totally is. It really is. I mean, it like it because you, I mean, it's amazing now it's been four months, but you know, for the first two months I was alone in the hotel. I was maybe one or two different guests, but you're pretty much by yourself, listening to yourself. I mean, I could distract myself with TV, but decided not to. But it's an interesting time and period. It is. And it feels like there's not an aspect of our identities that we're not being called upon to reconsider, right? Our professional lives, our relationships. You can't just go and have a bucket of fries and a margarita with a friend if you're feeling down. So the way you interact with your friendships, you, you see somebody now, it's like half, do you hug, do you elbow, do you jazz hands? <laughs> it's so awkward. And that's just a simple example, but it, it says so much about how we're trying to figure it out, like how to be in the world. And with uh, Zoom, I mean... With that? What's your solution to that? Because it's kind of like, what I like about your journey is, I think what helped it, and this is my analysis on your book, so... That's fine. Hey, it's good. Once I put the book out, it's yours, right? It's no longer yeah. mine. So if you, that's what you got, it's your book. So what, what, what I liked is that it seemed that words helped you. 
And I think we're, we're, in a sense, have a way to help you. Like when you put the grand gesture, and I think maybe all of us during this COVID time should call us the grand gesture of our life, that we actually are going through a challenging time. Like I've had friends of mine fall apart and they're like, I was getting an SMS and stuff like that. And it's like, it's okay to fall apart. I mean, we are, we're going through stress like no other. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things I want people to acknowledge is that the stress is multi-layered. It's not just like you ju- you lost a job. I mean, for a lot of people, they're worrying about getting sick and maybe dying. And for a lot of people, they're worrying about how their jobs are going to fare. And there's so much political uncertainty and there's the grief of what's going on with people that have actually had to Re- completely reconfigure where they live, what they do, how they show up, how they interact. And so there's these waves of things that we've lost over the last four months of things. And I think that's what we're feeling is the repercussion of these waves that keep coming of grief, of loss, of change, of transition. And we don't know what to do. And I will say, I've been impressed, although it's been very difficult, I've been very impressed with the resilience of humanity. I really have during this time. I feel like, I mean, Zoom aside, it's sort of like a joke now that <laughs> you have to have Zoom a kit, you know, is etiquette for Zoom. <laughs> it's like there's so much that we have to readapt to, which is kind of funny and silly and sad. I mean, if you think about it, but I I have really marveled at the resilience and the creativity and the imagination of people. It's been amazing to see this come to life. So if you if you so like with COVID, so how do you think people are going to come out of this? Like what, what would be the recommendation? So we call ourselves in the grand gesture journey. We are really in a, in a, in a time where we're really all suffering at the same time, losing so much of who we are. What do you, what would you say are the steps to recovery or, or to getting out, out of the desert or how do you reconcile it? You don't have those identities anymore. Well, I can only speak for how it was for me, and I can also speak to what I'm teaching now. So they're they're similar, but for me, it was number one, naming it. So I think everybody has to decide for themselves what it is that they're in and how it affects them. You know, I just think naming it, that seems like such a simple thing, but it's super important. The second thing I think is to have some kindness for yourself. Again, an oversimplified statement, but if we would be kinder to ourselves and to each other, it makes room for just so much more possibility, I think, because the minute you get into a place of judgment or expectation, the world becomes very small. Your internal world, your world of your relationships, the world of who you are in the world becomes much smaller. So I think getting kindness, naming it, getting kindness, allowance, I think is a huge thing. And I'm sure there's a lot of people that do many online workshops or they follow people that are spiritual leaders or they have religious leaders or pastors or whatever. I think finding support is important too. And that has to be something that not just keeps you safe, but also asks you to grow. And I think that's a difference because finding support is Somebody who says, you know, I know you're going through a hard time and I'm really sorry for that. And what do you think about what's in your heart today? Who would you like to be? You know, you need somebody or a support that asks you to dig in a little bit bit deeper because I think we're just creatures of habit. We don't want to be uncomfortable. I mean, it's too easy to be uncomfortable. I'm the path of least resistance. (laughs) 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 So, 
So, you know, it requires being uncomfortable. And I think recognizing, you know what, shit is not going to be the same and you're going to be uncomfortable. So recognize there is discomfort. There is discomfort. And, you know, I think that's, that's part of it. So we've got to step up. Well, it's interesting you say that because what I like, what I think is that I think everything is crashing to the ground, right? All our identities are falling flat. Like for some of us, we maybe still have the job, but the job has changed. We maybe lost your business. And it's kind of like what you were talking with Kevin, you know, like the whole, his journey of shifting identities, you know, and it seems like we're managing so many identities. And I think that's what I'm really fascinated about. You have like the offline to online. What are you online? What are you offline? And you're, you're working to be genuine, but I think the framework of a Zoom changes your etiquette and your personality. Facebook changes your etiquette and personality because it gives just one part of you. And how do you, in the reflections of interviewing so many people about identity and your book, how do we manage that in the day-to-day life? Like, in, And we can be consumed by it, but at the same time, who are we really? And Sometimes you get those plastered identities just by other people having an impression of you, right? Absolutely. I mean, and you cannot project or predict or control how somebody sees you in the world. What you can control is how you show up. Managing all those identities is exhausting. And I'm not going to put a pie that I didn't bake on there and post it and say, hey, y'all, hashtag dough. You know, know, I'm not going to. I'm not going to do that because that's not real. There's a fine line, of course. People don't want to see your mess all over the floor on social media either. I just think for me, it's like I'm, I'm clear that people show up in different ways because it makes themselves feel better. Like they have an identity they have to live up to. So for me, I decided it was too exhausting to do all that and showing up in a way that's clean, honest, simple, direct, I'm not on Twitter. I mean, I know that's like one of the biggest, hugest platforms. And and as a marketer, I can't believe that I am not on Twitter because I would tell everybody you have to be on Twitter, like to get your messages out there. But that was my line. That was one thing. It was another identity I didn't want to have to manage. So I keep it simple. I'm picking and choosing how I can show up in a way that's authentic within a realm of comfort level and without too much expectation. I don't want to go back into being so weighted down by expectation that I can't breathe. Well, it's interesting because I just interviewed last week, David Merman Scott, who's an author, and he talks about phenocracy. And what he says, you have to showcase your passion and show who you are to really have people attract to you. And what I told him and what I've really reflected on is that society doesn't want that. Or like when you go into a corporation, you're supposed to be a certain way. You can't like just jump off and be kind of yourself many ways or that's how you self-police yourself to be that way, right? It doesn't say that the company tells you to be that way, but you kind of self-police yourself to fit various cultures. But what I thought was so fascinating is that maybe the solution is to be more ourselves. And maybe that's what COVID-19 might help us with. Well, that's what I, when you were saying that, that's what I was thinking, that maybe that's what the way it was pre-March 2020, all the way back in time. But I bet you post-March 2020 moving forward, the world particularly in the corporate environment, is going to look extremely different. That landscape is going to be so different because people are different. People understand they're not going to take for granted so much of the things that we did. Sure, we may get back into life and going to restaurants and it may feel like our activity, everybody wants to know about going back to normal, but there is no normal anymore. The new normal is no normal. And I think we're going to be 
seeing how people's resilience and creativity and imagination and those things that they took for granted. I mean, can you imagine going to Italy now and going on a trip? Like, that's like a dream. And if that happens, when that happens, when that time comes, I'm going to feel like I'm seven years old again. The world is going to feel new again. Things are going to feel exciting. They're going to feel like we're part of something bigger and greater. And I don't know that every single person on the planet is going to feel that, but I think a majority of it is going to shift. And I, that's going to also include the corporate world, people that have had their own jobs on the line or the way they've had to do work reconfigured. Nobody's going to 80 hours at the office anymore because nobody's going into the office anymore. So corporations are going to have to truly rethink how they engage with their clients, how they engage with their employees, how employees engage with each other. What does working from home mean? I think it's more now adjusting to how are we going to expect that this is the new norm and what are we going to do as a business or as an individual? So what do you think are some of the solutions that they're going to do? What do you think is some things that are going to change? Well, I think it's been, it depends on the industry. I, I certainly know I have many friends who own restaurants and I've watched them had to extremely pivot. I have a friend, she has a restaurant, her and her husband, it's one of the best restaurants in, in where I live in Beaverton, Oregon. And, you know, they do beautiful plates and they do beautiful dishes. And for them to have to pivot so quickly and take their beautiful dishes and put them in a box, (laughs) he was devastated. He was mortified. So we wanted to do the version of dish in a box, you know, to take off the, (laughs) anyway, I think people have had to really, and pivot isn't even my favorite word. It's just like, it's, it's about reconfiguring it's got to be it's got to fit into life not just your life but into this life that we're looking at so i think restaurants have had to reconfigure the hospitality industry in general uh travel there are so many sectors that have had to rethink how they do business i'm trying to think of an example of somebody that has done a really interesting job of redefining their business roy's i'll just take roy's the restaurants now i get emails from them every day with like a daily special and i don't live near roy's because if i did i would i would definitely be going to one but they have the way they post their their daily specials and the way they promote them and market them it's it's been interesting so i think to answer your question it depends on the industry what is it that we can't live without what is it that's going to remain? It's funny to see on Facebook how everybody's like, cannot wait to get their hair done or their nails done because they're coming out of COVID looking like Sasquatch. <laughs> the long hair and the claws and the nails, you know, it's like, <laughs> like a slee stack. <laughs> so, uh, you know, the way they do business, my, my hairdresser came and saw me, you know, he came to my house because the salon wasn't yet set up. so. I think we're going to have to get really creative and be very gentle and compassionate and kind as the world is trying to figure it out. Going to one comment that I really like in your book is the my interpretation again, and, and it'd be great to have a discussion on is the, it seems like we put on these clothes of identity and in a sense, it really can have a danger of disconnecting from who we really are. Yeah, that's a beautiful way to observe that and and to describe that i think isn't that what life is we spend our entire lives trying to fulfill who we think we should be and if we're lucky and if we're fortunate we get to that place where we can actually discover that it's 
who we really are that we're trying to connect with because I think we spend so much time. I don't know why, like I think about all the energy and time and all the people that everybody's projecting their crap onto you their your whole life, you know, oh, she was so smart. She should have been a scientist or she was so, she never played piano, but we gave her lessons. Like you failed your mother <laughs> in, some, in, some, in some way that you didn't go become a touring pianist somewhere. So we, we, we don't measure up most of the time because everybody's projecting their crap onto you anyway. (laughs) So how exhausting is that? So when you get to this point in your life where you think, wow, I don't, I can't do that. I can't, I can't wear that. I never liked broccoli. And here I've been eating broccoli for 25 years to appease my mother. And, you know, I'm I'm just going to tell you, I'm coming clean. I hate broccoli. I'm out, you know? So it's just, it's all over the place. And you, you get to the point where you, you feel like it doesn't fit anymore. And what's interesting about that question is not only does it, you're, you're shedding these layers for the people in your life and the people that you're connected to and all the expectations that you have, but then you're doing it for yourself too. That's so weird and fascinating. You know, I didn't know a snake had two skins. It's kind of like I was only relying on the one. (laughs) So it's the shed within the shed. I'll have to copyright that one. (laughs) (laughs) Shed happens. (laughs) Yeah, no, uh, I think it's interesting because when you, I've been in so many different industries and then you kind of put on the clothes of working in climate, working in government, working in the music right. industry. I mean, I never forget when I wore in the music industry, I wore like this beautiful suit, really nice. And then my boss was wearing jeans with ripped up. And I'm like, oh, I guess I got the wrong clothes. You got the wrong memo. <laughs> I got the wrong memo. And I was like, oh, I forgot my jeans at home. And I never had jeans at that time. <laughs> I think so. I had to go out and buy jeans. And, and I think it's just so funny. Uh, how we all have these identities. But that's one thing I thought was really fun with you. You have all these different interests. Like you have the 80s, rock band. You've had some really interesting guests. Uh, so you, I really believe you're f- living your identity right now. Yeah, I'm coming into it uh, for sure because I hid behind so much for so long. And then when I didn't have those things, I felt like the emperor with no clothes standing on a podium at Times Square at 8 a.m. during rush hour. You know, it was a really uncomfortable, vulnerable, exposed time to feel so uh, identity-less. Like I can't hang my hat on that and I can't hide behind that. So then what am I going to do? And it's been hard. You know, I will admit it's been hard, but the last four months have been amazing for me. And I know for a lot of people that is not the case. And and for everybody out there who suffers and is really afraid and has had losses, I, I feel you. I understand what that is. And my time already hit. So maybe I'm on, you know, a little bit ahead of the curve, but I, I've had an amazing four months just figuring out who I am and being okay with living and showing up in that for me and what that means. And I, I don't know, it's been exciting. I'm, I'm just out there expressing and doing, like, I'm not even thinking about where it's going or how the dots connect or what it means or what it's going to produce because that's the other part of it is we're a society, at least in America, that is absolutely based your value on what you produce. When you go to a party, they don't say, you know, when you introduce yourself to somebody, they don't go, oh, hi, nice to meet you. How are, how are you feeling today? It's like, first question they ask is, what do you do? And they don't do that in Europe. Yeah. 
I mean, that, that would probably be rude, wouldn't it? Or like, yeah, I, you don't even there. It's about your family vacations. And that was a huge shift for me because in the U.S. you're like, oh, what do you do? Blah, 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 blah. 24 seven. And there you don't even ask it. Sometimes you don't even know what they do after a whole night of talking. I would love that. That would be awesome. I think that's awesome because it's, it is based on who we are and not what we do. So to show up and be committed to the exploration of expression for the sake of just becoming me is pretty amazing. Yeah. And so that's, if you got to take a little bit shifted, what do you think about the young people today? You and I have both been like, we've lived the analog life and then we've been online and we've kind of seen life before and generation now they're just living in it now with never really having had life without internet without i think it's an extreme of that i feel like i as much as i poo-pooed it and you know i'm not like the old man yelling at clouds on the lawn (laughs) can't i get the kid get rid of those cows you know (laughs) i do feel like there's a different energy and it does take away from imagination and it does take away from reflection being so immediate all the time and technologically wired in. But I will also say there's a different energy. Look at what's happened even with Black Lives Matter, the people that have come out and hit the streets and the creativity and the energy. I I think it's been pretty impressive to see people are, I don't want to say pissed off. That's not the right word. People are charged. They're ready to take things on And I don't feel this generation are slackers. I feel like they are highly engaged. It's just the engagement looks different than how we experienced it. So I think it's going to be pretty interesting. And even with the, uh, and I'm not trying to talk politics here at all, but what what happened with the Trump rally with the tickets, (laughs) that these kids bought up these tickets, right? Whatever your politics are, this is not a Republican or Democrat. That's just brilliant. Like, it's just a good move. It's just an interesting, decided move of how to utilize the tools of our time and apply them in a way to invoke change in a way that they see as fit. So I think that we do have a generation of people that are disconnected. You can sit and have a conversation with somebody and they'll be looking at their phone the whole time. Um, But I don't know that it's necessarily bad. I think it's just not what we knew or what we're used to. And we should be able to harness that energy, utilize those voices in a way, capitalize on those voices, unite those voices, combine those voices in a way where positive things are happening. And I, I see it and I feel it community to community all around the world. People are showing up and they're making a difference in ways that we couldn't have imagined. And it's not just in the social sphere. I think it's in the cultural sphere, some of the art and some of the stuff that's being born and coming out from this has been fascinating. What kind of art have you liked? I have loved the art that's of all the buildings that were raided and smashed windows. Like people have put up these boarded wind uh, frames of wood all over the city where they've painted them and there've been big murals and they've been really interesting. And I have a group on Facebook called My Mundane and I have people all over the world on that group. And there are people in Minneapolis and in Chicago and New York who are posting these photos of these murals and these panels that the people in the community have built to board up the windows that were smashed. So that has been interesting. Like that's a new form of art. Yeah. Riot art, you know. Riot art. (laughs) 
that, yeah, that, that's fascinating. They're using using different ways of creating art from what yeah. I'm music I'm too. How so? What about, what about the music? Well, I think you see people on Zoom doing these concerts on Facebook a lot or online doing live living room shows where they're doing acoustic things. Keith Urban at the front end of this just did him as his guitar and his guitar tech. And it was just them two in a room. So all the music, the way people are expressing themselves, they're doing living room porch concerts where they show up. There's in Oregon, the Oregon Symphony, they had a cellist who would go around and just sit in front of a park and play. So these forms of expression are coming forward in ways that People are not worried about who the audience is. They're doing it anyway. And that you is... You think that's changed from like COVID-19 that like we like... So as I've said in the beginning of this strategy of offline to online identity, do you think that we are being so comfortable now with the technology of live video, internet, Zoom, that ourselves are being more reflected in those kinds of channels? Excellent question. Yes. What I've learned through COVID-19 in 2020 is that people have to create, people have to express, people have to connect, people have to show up and share who they are. It just can't not happen. And, and that has been amazing to see the resilience, the heart, the passion, the the ways that, that we've expressed ourselves, even if it's needlepoint, you know, people have taken up these craft elements like knitting and hand fibered arts and other things that never would I have thought of before even engaging in or doing. And it's not like I do it, but you know, <laughs> it's, I mean, I've never, never been a knitter, but I think it's fascinating. We can't not show up and we can't not express so maybe COVID-19 is liberating us to be more free. Yeah, I think it is definitely liberating us to be more free. It's it's telling us in a grand scale that our humanity is more valuable as currency than our productivity. So when we go back to words and identity, so do you think identity is a bad word then? Or is it like um, we just have to be weary of the word identity or... Now that you've gone through it and we're going through our time right now, the grand gesture, what do you think? Well, in identity, the way I spell it, it's E-Y-E-D-E-N-T-I-T-Y. And again, going back to the meaning of words and identity in that context is how you come to see yourself. So I think our identities are changing all the time. And I think who we are is who we are. You know, so I think we're living this is another word I'm going to throw out you. <laughs> it's not either or. My my saying for what's happening is it's all and. Mm-hmm. Everything is and. So there are multiple truths at once. We are, identities are always changing, yet we're always who we are. So I don't think it's an either or prospect. I think we, uh, our identities are are how we see ourselves. And so how we see ourselves is always going to change. And there are things we're going to know to be true. We'll come to discover as truth, but along the way, we're going to see ourselves differently. We don't ever see ourselves the same because think about what you go through in even 24 hours in your own day, of how you see the world from the time you wake up, whether or not you've had coffee. 
if you, even if you haven't had coffee, you're going to see the world very differently than if you did. And then think about who you come across or what you listen to or what you discover. All of those things are going to shift like the pebble, the sand in the water, some ripple into some shoreline that you can't even see or understand or even ever know. You know, and that's part of it, the symbiosis of these intermingling of identities. Whoever has had a conversation, you were mentioning to me that the podcast that you would listen to of mine had made a difference in your, how you saw things and how you saw yourself, more importantly. So, you know, the, those shifting pebbles in the, in the water and in the sand, it's, it's a beautiful thing to imagine that you're just never, ever, ever going to know the resonance of how that ultimately lands and all you can do is just kind of watch it and observe it and marvel at it and get pissed off at it sometimes but really it's just it's just life happening life is making life happen and you're just going along so your identities are always going to be seen differently based on who you are and where you are and I knew that putting with my book out because I was worried people in my life how they were going to receive it because there's some personal things in there, really personal things. So between my husband and my kids and people that I work with professionally, I, I don't know, something in there could offend them, I'm sure. <laughs> so uh, how they see me is going to change, but I had to let that go. You know, I had to and let what that happened? go. Did anyone say anything or was it just? Well, not that been, they've been brave enough to share. <laughs> but I mean, the feedback I've gotten usually typically from people, strangers who have read the book has been, thank you. Thank you for being so honest. Thank you for saying things I think about and didn't have the courage to say. Thank you for making me feel less alone. Thank you for making me feel like it doesn't have to be so tidy or so neat. So I've gotten a lot of gratitude and I'm I'm sure there will be people that won't like it. I'm waiting for my first one star review. Although please everybody who's listening do not feel compelled to take me up on that because it's just more of a rhetorical, not a direct request. <laughs> no, that's interesting you say. I thought it was fascinating how other people see your book and you see your book and people close to you see your book. And I think we're all so scared to put ourselves out there. But then when we finally do we give the gift of what we're called to be. That's an interesting way to look at that. I think, can we really do this life any other way? I mean, is there a choice in this? We probably could keep our heads in the sand. And I know a lot of people that do. And, you know, it's a double-edged sword to be present and, and getting with what's happening means you have to look at it all and it's painful and it's lonely, but it's also really empowering and beautiful. And going back to and, it's not either or. It's not just afraid or just empowering. It is both. I think we, human nature, human beings, I feel like our gift is the experience and we have the opportunity or, or gift or whatever it is to to dive in and immerse and swim around and, and see what's there. And it is it is beautiful and it's tragic and it's flawed and it's exciting and it's there's so much there. It's just so interesting to see it all unfold at, at any given time. And, and I mean, I, I, we, I, I keep going. It's not like it's over just because I, I reached a certain place. Now I'm in a new place and the place I'm in is like even better. I'm having such a great time right now. I'm having such an interesting human experience. Everything is really new and I'm feeling completely rejuvenated and I'm feeling excited and I'm feeling 
optimistic and I'm feeling like the biggest thing I've learned, especially in the last couple of months is I just showed, I kept showing up and here I am. Like how cool it is that I just kept showing up for myself and I didn't fall apart into an abyss of carbohydrates and really bad TV like Tiger King because I could have, you know, and there's nothing wrong. If you did that, that's fine. You know, there's no judgment here, no judgment at all. But for me, it wasn't my time for that. I had to dig in and Two analogies. I don't like either of those. Those are both cliches and they're together and they don't work. Digging in and swimming. <laughs> Beyond acronyms. Come on, help me out, Torin. You're, you're the girl. <laughs> Give me something better. <laughs> oh, it's so funny. Well, um, <laughs> you're just making me laugh now. Sorry. No, uh, I think you, did, you just stumped me right there. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. You stumped me in a good way because I think we have these journeys, and, and this is the question I was going to have, is that you've been a marketer, you've been a publisher, so you know how to package things. And so if you looked at yourself now and you, had a, and you were the marketer, what would you say? Because I think in this journey, and I think what, I'm learned, what I learned last week with phonocracy and learning here is that a lot of the guidelines we give as communicators and marketers is probably not the best advice. Well, you know, what's funny is that it's so funny you're asking that. I, it's like the marketer who doesn't have Twitter, right? But what's funny is that everything that I can say about where I'm at is a fucking cliche, it is, but it's true. So my motto, my marketing thing or my shtick or whatever, where I'm at is like on the other side of fear is freedom. And I've heard that 27,000 times, but I never got it. And love yourself. I've heard that 52,000 times, never got it, but I get it now. I get it. I get it. I understand what that means. And I'm teaching classes right now. I'm working with people one-on-one in their writing and helping them immerse deep into themselves and their journeys and their identities through writing. It's been fascinating. I'm working with people one-on-one and I'm teaching a class online every week and to hold their hand and to tell them they're being seen and they're being heard and to promise them to make that promise. I can make it a hundred percent and believe it and know it that if they immerse and show up for themselves week after week and brave exploring the words in their life and they may not understand what it is, but they keep showing up that on the other side, I can promise them is something really cool and interesting that they're going to discover. I know this. So all of the things that I, as a marketer or whatever, my, my phrases and everything I'm using that I've heard them, they're mostly cliches. They're not that interesting, but they're mostly all true, which is also interesting. (laughs) And I believe them and I believe them a hundred percent. I do like the big things I would say is making allowance, choose allowance over acceptance. That's a big one for me. It, the process is really the most important part. Uh, and I've heard that a million times, but it's true, especially with writing, especially with words, being with words, immersing into words, connecting with words. It's all process. And I think that, you know, and on the other side of that, showing up for yourself is on the other side is that freedom when you're afraid, when you're afraid to be there for yourself, when you don't know what that looks like, when you feel small, when you feel unheard, when you feel unloved, when you feel overwhelmed, when you feel misunderstood. I know all of those feelings. I have felt all of them. And on the other side of all of those is like a freedom. And I feel very clear in that right now. 
could change tomorrow. I mean, you know, the pebble does move in the water and things will shift again. And maybe in, in two days I'll feel different. But but I feel like I have this foundation of understanding within myself now that nothing will change that. I'd like to believe that. You found the words that were close to your heart. And I think that's where we don't put enough credence to words. Because I think when you were talking about dark flight of the self, when you uh, found, what was it called? The great... The grand gesture. The grand gesture. Like you put these words on it. Sometimes they can free you. And I think that's for ourselves and just for my own self, my own identity. Like I can say I'm a communications marketer or put all these labels on myself when it's better to find the words that really resonate with my heart. And everybody is different. Everybody's going to find it for themselves and in their own way. So the way you find it is not going to be the way I find it. And to be clear that just because somebody else has had some epiphany or some understanding or it's happened a certain way, it's not going to be that way for you. So you can't compare. It just doesn't work out that way. It is, it's much messier. It is not tidy at all. And that's part of it is, is understanding that it is a shit show. <laughs> <laughs> the journey of your identity is a shit show. Back and forth, <laughs> up and down and around. We it really is. Yeah. So what are the warnings you would have? Like, so if you could give me like one warning and then like one hope for in the journey of identity. The warning is not to be so hard on yourself. That's not even a warning. That's a direct assignment <laughs> given is do not be so hard on yourself. Don't beat yourself up. Don't worry or have such hard expectations that are completely unrealistic because those expectations might've been amazing for you at one time. And they may have prompted you to rise. They may have prompted you to deliver on doing amazing things in your life, but those change. And then when we change and the expectations don't, can you imagine like the friction and the havoc that that causes on your insides? It's not cool. It is not fun. And so the warning is, do not be so hard on yourself and, and really understand what the expectations are because they can be heavy and inappropriate and outdated. And the hope is that I do really feel committed to the idea of allowance and showing up for yourself. And showing up for yourself means different things to different people. But for me, I can give you a concrete example. I was never a walker in my life. Never. I, I didn't like walk. Why? I mean, <laughs> Steve Martin in that movie where he takes a drive, he drives his car for like two blocks in LA or whatever. <laughs> it's like, I, I just was not a walker. But when this whole thing hit, the COVID hit, I, I ended up having to, I was so stressed out and depressed and overwhelmed. I ended up like having to get out of the house because I had to change the mindset because it was going down a rabbit hole of darkness and depression and overwhelm. So I put my shoes on and I started walking and it was life-changing and has been life-changing. I walk like eight, nine miles a day now. So the hope is when showing up for yourself, it's putting on your tennis shoes and getting out the door, even when you don't feel like it. That's my concrete example. If I don't feel like I live in Portland, Oregon, it rains all the time. Like, so the me, my motivation to get my shoes on and go outside in the rain is not very high on the uh, scale, but putting on my shoes on and just getting out the door. That's how I showed up for myself. So showing up for yourself is the hope. What does that mean to you? What does that look like? And how can you keep doing it? Wow. That's beautiful. I think we're going to end it there. I'm going to give you one last question, which I ask everyone, uh, just because you're a, you love words, just like as me. 
what would be your favorite commercial, favorite quote, or something that's really touched you throughout your life? I'm sure it's in an Elton John song somewhere. Bernie Taupin's lyrics have touched me and continue to touch me over and over again. I mean, that guy's a genius. He's a poet. The writer of Elton John song? Yeah, he's the lyricist. He's the one who's put all the words to the music all these years. So thank you so much for your about hope and about the warnings. I really want to thank you. It's been a wonderful uh, journey with you in this. These minutes, they go by too quickly. I could go on and on, but I want to thank you. And uh, where can they connect with you? So, yeah, thank you. My website is janalopez.com and that has all the places you can buy. The book is called Me, Myself, E, and I. And I offer online classes for writing. If anybody's interested in exploring words, it's free. And I uh, appreciate They're it. Great I, classes. They're great classes. Yeah. Torin's been on a few. And so I will say that it's great that you're doing this. It's great that you're connecting people to words and to meaning and to each other. And this has been such a great podcast. You ask wonderful questions and it's an honor to be in the mix. Well, thank you, Jenna. And have thank you so much. And thank you, listeners. Until next time. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you know at least one or two friends that would get a lot of value from this, send this episode. Or text a couple of your friends right now to WhatsApp group, post it on your Instagram stories, Facebook, or Twitter. And don't forget to tag me at Torin B. Share with anyone you think that needs to hear this message. And if you're new, please pop on over to your favorite podcast app and subscribe. Leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you. And how can we prove and make this better? Or how did this help you? And don't forget to join us next week for another episode of Moving Beyond Acronyms.